If you like this podcast and would like to support us, please rate, comment, and subscribe. And also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel. And now it's time to get a unique slant on current events from your favorite half-Asian couple. Get ready to know what's happening in the world today with your host, Shane and Nico. Hey, what's going on? Uh, this is another episode of What's Happening. I am Shane, uh, solo today. Uh, so if you're here just for Nico, I'm sorry. I know that for some of you dudes, I'm sure that's the only reason why you watch. Um, but, but anyway, <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, we are here today with uh, Rolo from the Rolo and Slappy show and also from McFlugal.com, I believe is the uh, website. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Shane. And uh, you know what? It's important to have some boy time here and there. So, yeah, you know, a sausage fest doesn't hurt <laughs> anyone, I guess. <laughs> um, so the main reason why I wanted you on, uh, we were kind of talking about it too before we started recording, um, is that uh, you know, you know, N- Nico and I are kind of, um, you know, very. Uh, uh, what's the word? Novice, I think is how you pronounce it, to, to Bitcoin. That's the main reason why I wanted you on because you talk about Bitcoin a lot. And you're a big advocate for it. So so for someone who's like a dummy like I am when it comes to Bitcoin, like what would like – so kind of introduce what Bitcoin is for those, you know, especially if you're a libertarian because I'm sure – I don't know what who, you know, what libertarian would know what Bitcoin is. But for some reason, if there are people who don't know what it is, kind of explain what it is in a nutshell. Sure. So Bitcoin is – a way to create uh, a decentralized digital scarcity. And what that is useful, it is useful for uh, being a sound money. So mm-hmm. before we talk about Bitcoin, it's kind of important to talk about what money is and, and what money we've had in the past. So I'll try to go over that real quickly. So money is kind of like this almost public ledger of who has created value. So people with the most, you know, before we had a society with money, this kind of third thing that you can you can exchange for other stuff, like the you know medium of exchange. Um, right now, our money is dollars. Mm-hmm. So if I want, if you want to buy a good or service from me, um, you know maybe we could figure out a thing that uh, I don't know. You wanted to buy this pen from me. Um, maybe uh, I wanted your shirt. And so maybe we can make an exchange for that through barter, but your shirt is probably worth a lot more than this pen. So we want to have this third thing that we can exchange between each other, and that's money. Um, so it's important that money has certain properties that uh, it can't be easily created by someone, like cheating the system. You, you got to like show that you, you did work to get money somehow, right? one way or the other, or at least um, added value to society. And that's why people are going to um, exchange goods, goods and services for it. So we know that, uh, gold as libertarians, um, we, we probably know a lot about the federal reserve and how they took us off the, the government took us off the gold standard. Uh And so we have a fiat money system. Um, so gold was good because it was, uh, you know, had, had these properties where it's kind of fairly easily identifiable. Um, you can you can kind of look at gold, 
see what it is, but also um, it has certain physical characteristics, like the, the chemical makeup of it that you can't just create uh, pretty easily. It's you got to go find it in the ground. You got to mine it. It's difficult to do that. So in order to add money, gold uh, to your economy, you have to do a lot of work to get there and to, to get it in. So, um, uh, so, so that allows it to kind of hold its value. Well, um, so <laughs> yeah. Um, but at the same time, while it's, you can kind of tell, uh, you know, what gold looks like it's difficult, um, especially as it appreciates in value, you know, we just see what gold is worth today. It's what, like $1,500 an ounce or something. Right. Yeah. So it's difficult. Um, if I've got a gold bar or even an ounce of gold and I want to buy, you know, that shirt from you, it's certainly not worth $1,500. So like, do I scrape a couple chips off the gold coin and we wait and we give it to you, but then you don't really know if I'm giving you true gold or not. So what had to develop from that was back in the day, they, uh, they started stamping coins. And so there was like this trusted um, minter, mm-hmm. really, that, um, you know, he put his reputation up on the line by saying these these coins that I that I stamp, you can trust that they've got, you know, X amount of gold in them. And so that was a reliable way for people to kind of exchange money back and forth uh, because they didn't have to uh, when they accepted payment in gold, they didn't have to uh, like go and break the gold apart do some sort of chemical analysis or even just kind of weigh, weigh it and figure out the density of the material in there. Um, and also, uh, by putting certain other alloys in the coin, it allowed, uh, it to, to be, to, to not wear out as much, uh, over time and kind yeah, of, hold, I, I, hold I know like, like for, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but for, uh, like nickel, yeah. You know, nickels and dimes, whatever it's, I think it's made out of like silver or something like that. I can't exactly remember, but I know, and I know with like the, like, cause you can look inside of like, I don't know, like a, I think it's like a dime or something. You can see there's like some copper in the middle of it, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, um, they, you know, th- there's a lot of reasons why you would want to, uh, mint gold into coins. The problem with that is that it creates an opportunity for someone that's kind of cheat. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's based on the reputation and if they become kind of the only show in town, it would be very tempting for them to start what's called clipping by adding less gold and more alloy, but still calling it the same amount of gold. Hmm. Um, the issue with that is once people figured that out, they would, uh, they wouldn't accept that money, um, except at a premium because they knew that they, it, you were, uh, you know, maybe it only had 75% of the gold in it. So you would, to accept that money, you would require, more of that coin versus another person's coin that still had the hundred percent of the gold they claimed in it. Uh, but this became a bigger issue once you had uh, governments kind of taking over and they made it legal tender. And so we know like you can look back and, and part of the, the issue with the fall of the Roman empire was that they were de- devaluing their money a lot. They were not putting in as much gold in there. Uh, there it was easier to get. And so it was sending all sorts of like bad, uh, bad signals through the market because it's just like with the, the Federal Reserve adding a lot of dollars, there's all these, um, there's a lot more money flowing around, but not the resources um, uh, behind it that you would expect it would. So people are spend, acting 
like there's more wealth and resources around than there actually are. And it gets to the point where, oh, like we're, there's not enough stuff to go around. Half, half the stuff I'm working on, I can't even complete. Right. So that's, that's where you have a crash. Um, over time, you know, it became difficult to use uh, even gold coins because value, the value of gold had appreciated so much. And so what they started doing, instead of minting coins, you could bring your gold to uh, a bank and they would give you a certificate back. And that certificate is what is known as, well, what became, ended up being paper money, but it was a money certificate. Dollars were originally uh, money certificates. Uh, mm-hmm. One ounce of gold was, was, you got a $20 bill for every ounce of gold that you gave the bank. And it was supposed to be that you could go back to the bank and they would uh, give you your, your gold back. Uh, because gold is kind of difficult to store. It's difficult to walk around with. If you, if you've got a, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to put paper into a wallet right. than to carry around, you know, your, your gold. And it's also really, like a workout every day. Yeah. <laughs> the gold. Yeah. And also it's, it's kind of tough to, um, to still accept gold. Like you, you don't want to have to, um, make sure that you're getting, uh, actually getting gold. Um, when you're accepting payment. So when you just have a paper certificate and you know that you can send this to a bank that you, you, you have the ability. So it's, it's a layer on top of the gold mm-hmm. that, um, that allows easier transactions with the money. Um, but the problem is that's another layer of centralization, yeah. another way for people to start trying to cheat through fractional reserve banking. Uh, so they would take the gold but then start sending out more dollars than they had gold. Hmm. Um, so when people would go back to get their dollars, sometimes they, you know, if enough people came back to claim their gold, they wouldn't have enough gold to go around. That triggered like a bank run. So everyone started going back to, uh, to get their gold. And so that kept banks in check a little bit because they knew that if they inflated their, uh, the paper money certificates out too much, then they might get wrecked if a bunch of people don't trust them anymore and want to get their gold back. Um, but the government realized that they could wield a lot of power once again by controlling the money money supply. So they started offering a lot of these banks um, favors and certain privileges um, if they kind of played ball with them and in and in return so they so they would offer um like legal legal tender status for a certain bank okay Hmm. and so that meant that you you had to use that bank's money in order to settle debts and and do do certain things within that within that government uh within that country so that gave these banks this privileged status and they said well what we'll do for that is uh you're going to you're going to give us uh like nice loans as a as a thank you for for making you a, a legal monopoly for money and also what we'll do is uh since you're going to give us good loans and uh you know certain advantages with with using your your bank we'll make it so that um if there's a bank run we're we'll kind of back you up so if there's a bank run, we'll just say that, you know, all right, we can, you can, you can print more money to, uh, to deal with that. Or, um, 
Or they'll just say, which is what eventually happened is we'll just make it so that people can't exchange their dollars for gold anymore. Mm. And so this this kind of centralization of of gold ultimately led to its failure because now we know that we don't even have uh, gold money anymore. Yeah. That 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 the paper, the dollar bills that we have is no longer a certificate to claim gold, but that paper is the money itself. And when you have that, it just creates banks the op- the opportunity and governments to just print print at will. They don't even have to go and find gold. That's what kept the gold supply from from being inflated too much, kept the value stable, is that no matter how much the gold was worth, um, you it was it was so difficult to go mine that you couldn't just add a huge amount right away. Like if the price of uh, uh, wheat shot through the roof, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that difficult for someone to go and add a lot of supply for that. And so you, that that wouldn't be uh, that wouldn't be very helpful for using wheat as a money, right? Right. Because it would be so e- so uh, as you know, you don't want the supply fluctuating or increasing, you know, a lot because it, it kind of like shocks the system. Yeah. You want people to be able to use the money with uh, some like reliability of how much it's going to be there, so they can plan for the future. Because that is, I should have said this in the beginning. Money is a tool that allows people to transport value across time and space for future uncertainty. So, um, you know, you might be a wheat, using the wheat example, you might be a wheat farmer and you grow a lot of wheat, um, but you don't know what the future brings. You don't know what you're going to be able to trade that wheat directly for through barter. So you want to have this other thing, this third thing, this medium exchange, this money that you can sell your wheat for this money and then you can use that money to buy whatever you need in the future because you don't know what you'll necessarily need in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, your roof, a, a strong wind might blow your roof off and now you need a new roof. And the guy who's doing build, building the roofs for you uh, might not want wheat. So you want to have that that third thing, that medium of exchange to be able to, that's, that's universally accepted in your society. Yeah, I was just going to say that it's like, you know, you, you exchange something for something else that, you know, one, so kind of like, uh, I can't remember who said it. It might've been, um, might've been Rothbard possibly. Uh, but it's like, okay. So like you were saying, you know, I have wheat and someone has a roof, whatever. Now say, for example, that person does need wheat and you need a roof. Well, that roof is more important to me than the wheat that I have. So, you know, exchange, right. Right. Yeah. But in order for that to happen without money, you need that coincidence of wants. Right. So that's why barter it works only when that coincidence of once occurs, and but it's difficult. Um, you very quickly need to find s- these indirect trading paths to get what you actually want. Like if I have wheat, I might have to sell wheat to to the uh, the guy who makes shoes, even though I don't want shoes. So I take the shoes and give it to the guy who makes cherries, even though I don't want cherries. And then I finally have the cherries so I can give to the, the roofer who wants cherries and I want the roof. Right. So money, money fixes that problem. I should have said that, said all that in the very <laughs> beginning, but you know, we're, we're slogging our way through. Um, well, fine. well so, I was, was going to say though, so would you kind of say that Bitcoin is trying to kind of, uh, I guess, replicate to what it was before with the gold standard? Because yes. there are, there are people who say that, well, we should just go back to the gold standard because people don't. I guess they're not 100% convinced with how Bitcoin or what Bitcoin is being presented as, I suppose. Right, right. 
Yeah. Yes, exactly. So my my rebuttal to people who say, well, why don't we just go back to the gold standard? It's to me, it's like saying, well, why don't we just go back to the Constitution? We <laughs> right. had the Constitution. It kind of worked well for a while, but it ultimately like we it's the Lysander Spooner quote. Like it's it was kind of doomed to failure. Yeah. Now and, it's just like a piece it, of paper that's just lying out in an office and, you know, in some glass, right. whatever. Yeah. And, and by me, and I think people get a little bit upset sometimes because when I say gold failed, I'm not trying to knock gold. Yeah. It's just the reality of it. It was money for thousands of years. It, it was responsible for bringing about major advancements in human, human society because it allowed people to, to actually save well mm -hmm. and uh, plan for the future and, um, you know, make good entrepreneurial decisions. But it is the case now that it's not money anymore. And it, and if, if we went back to a gold standard, there's no reason, none of, none of the problems that gold had that allowed it to be centralized and ultimately demonetized have been fixed to prevent it from happening again. So what Bitcoin does, I see you're about to well, ask. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's kind of like, you know, going back to the gold standard and say, well, if you go back to the constitution, well, back in even more of the day, money was their livestock. That was money. Yeah, cattle as served as livestock. It, it, it had the best, uh, the livestock had the best functions of money. It right. was difficult to, you couldn't just like create cattle out of thin air. Right. You know, it took a lot of work to have a cattle and it, and it like showed well, it was a, a display of wealth. If you had a lot of cattle, there's, um, right. there's all sorts of money, like different monies throughout history that were used. And a lot of them ended up failing as something else, um, came into their economy that was better. Like once gold started getting introduced to places like in, in Africa, where they use these glass beads, they were, these glass beads were very difficult to produce. Mm -hmm. So if you had these glass beads, it was a sign of, well, you know, you were able to trade a lot, you know, a lot of value for those glass beads. Um, and from these very skilled artisans that made them, um, it's not like anyone could just like make these beads. It, it took a lot of work. Right. This, uh, so the beads were like proof of work for a, uh, a little, a little, uh, foreshadowing. Not like you know, what, when you go to new Orleans, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, right. Yeah. But what happened was that then when the Europeans came over, they were a little bit more advanced. They had a gold money system and it was very easy for them to produce, uh, these glass beads. And so they said, okay, well, they went back to Europe, said, Hey, let's, let's make a bunch of these glass beads. It was very easy for them to do it. And they just flooded the market in mm -hmm. Africa buying all this stuff and drove the, uh, drove the value of these beads really low because they increased the, the supply so much very easily. Yeah. But then they adopted the harder money because these Europeans were also coming with gold. And after a while, you know, the Africans weren't stupid. They just <laughs> right. didn't have the, the same tools as the Europeans. And they said, all right, you, you want, you know, my whatever, then I want some of your gold. And so that's what they, they adopted that gold standard. Um, and they were better off for it. It's kind of like nowadays where, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert on what exactly how it goes down, but it's kind of like, you know, we were talking about the money and how the, how the value of our dollar, the U.S. dollar has diminished from what it was before because they just keep printing them, you know, all, you know, all day, every day, just money yeah. being printed over and over again. Like for the first time, and I don't know, I think it was like a couple of days ago or something. For the first time, I saw Stephen Munchen's name on a $10 bill. 
And I was like, holy shit. And this was, you know, and I don't know, I don't know why I just thought about this, but it's like, you know, because of the whole like Trump thing or whatever that's going down with the, you know, all the impeachment shit. It's like, well, I mean, it's official. I mean, Stephen Munchen was uh, the treasury secretary under Trump. So, you know, if anyone who's not a Trump supporter gets that $10 bill, like, ah, oh, God damn it. Yeah. It's, it's history for real now because people always say, oh, I'm going to forget about number, you know, when Trump was president, it's like, I just can't forget it now because, you know, yeah, they, put, that. They, oh. they put their mark on the money. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the idea that, that a money should lose its value over time, like, does, like that shouldn't be the case. Like, it, it, there's something wrong with that system because we're, the purchasing power that is um because if we're advancing as humanity and improving technologically um and that's through coming up with you know developments that make it cheaper and easier to produce things mm-hmm. like you know how like the cotton gin was revolutionary for for farming right uh the printing press for 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 making books and stuff you know that that makes things cheaper so if we're coming up with these technologies that are that are improving life making it easier and cheaper to produce things, but the things are end up costing more over time. Like something's, something's not right. That should, that should be a signal that, that something's, something's awry and it's, it's the money system. And, you know, there's all, there's also other 10, all these other things that are associated with the, an easy money system where credit's real cheap. Like we have now that it, um, it messes up the pricing system because now they're they're making it easier to get more money, and so people think that there's a there's a lot more resources to go around because if you you know, it's like if um, let's if the government just said we're going to give everyone a million dollars, just across the board, mm-hmm. we're going to give everyone a million dollars. We all know intuitively why that wouldn't solve anything. But for a lot of people, it would cause a lot of ruin because they would get a lot. They would get that million dollars. But man, I'm a millionaire. I can afford all this stuff. And maybe they go out and try to and build this house. Um, and there's a lot of people doing this. Now there's there's not the uh, not the state not the actual savings build up. So there everyone's kind of uh, grasping for resources that don't exist. They're competing for the same resources that don't exist because they have this this false signal by having um, a lot of money that uh, that wasn't um, wasn't created through adding value to society. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you take that on the smaller scale, you see why that's like a, it, it creeps into society because the government hasn't done that, hasn't given everyone a million dollars, but they've made it easier for people to get access to money without by just with the printing press without doing any sort of work, adding value to society to, uh, to do that. Uh, so it, it creates this, uh, you familiar with the idea of time preference? Um, not really. No. Okay. So time preference just means that like how well you're able to delay gratification. So someone who has a high time preference is like once instant gratification. They don't care what, uh, what tomorrow brings. Um, Whereas someone with a low time preference, they realize, oh, I, you know, I have to worry about not only today, but the day after and the day after that. Uh-huh. So someone with a high time preference will take out loans for frivolous things, whereas someone with a low time preference will save, hmm. save their money so they can, you know, uh, f- deal with life right now, but also make improve their lives in the future. So 
this easy access to money induces high, high time preference across society. That because access to credit and money is so easy, you get out of the mindset you have to save. And so like we look, we can look across American and most societies around the world probably, mm -hmm. and people don't have any savings build up. It's like most people can't afford, if they had a, an issue where they needed a thousand dollars to take care of, you know, an emergency that came up, I forget the percent exactly, but it's a, uh, very concerning high percentage of people that would not be able to afford that. Yeah. Just because of the, the incentives around them as your money's worth less tomorrow than it is today, why would you save? You have an incentive to spend the day. Whereas if you had a money system where it was always uh, appreciating in value, you have an incentive to not spend today or at least not spend as much or to make sure that what you're, you really want, what you're spending your money on today, like, hey, I need food to live so I can enjoy the appreciated money in the future. It, it makes people uh, more geared towards saving. And so you have a, uh, having that, that hard money system where your money appreciates over time has very positive effects on society. Uh, there's a book by Hans Hermann Hoppe, Democracy, the God that Failed, mm -hmm. does a really good job of, of explaining that concept um, and why we see kind of a destruction of society today, um, both economically and socially. Um, with this high time preference, you get a lot of just bad behavior uh, in general. It, it induces a lot of bad behavior because it, it, it per not being able to think about the future and just wanting instant gratification right now, yeah, like has such bad consequences on your overall life. Um, and I think that that's why we all, uh, you might see me and other Bitcoiners doing the, uh, the meme Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen like it. any sort of problem that's out there is, Oh, Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's because Bitcoin being a hard money, uh, induces a lower time preference. And so it, through this kind of roundabout way, it ends up being that people make better decisions because they're they're planning ahead for the future, not just reacting in the moment. So, um, maybe we could actually actually start talking about Bitcoin now. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I was gonna um kind of mention before we I guess go more of a deep dive into that, but it's kind of like you know when you're talking about the devaluing of the dollar or whatever, or just you know items in general. Because you look at old pictures back in the day where you see a hamburger was like 10 cents. Mm -hmm. And now a hamburger nowadays is, you know, can be anything from, I guess it depends on where you go, but it can be anything from like, you know, five to $10. It kind of depends on what kind of hamburger you're going to get, you know, right. you all these different toppings, whatever. But even just like I was saying before, a hamburger that's 10 cents as, as you know, now a hamburger, you know, like $5, it's like, how did they, and it wasn't that long ago. It was like maybe, maybe 1950, 1960 was that much, you know, mm -hmm. and now you know, here in the 21st century, it's, you know, at least got to be a, what, 500%. I don't know what the percentage of the amount is, but it's a huge jump from what it was then to what it is now. So it's kind of crazy. Like, you know, you would, you would think, because could you imagine nowadays if a hamburger was 10 cents, that would pretty much kind of tell you that, man, there's either, there's a lot of hamburgers that they can, that they're willing to give up that much or, oh man, our, our economy is doing very well because the dollar is, is valued at a very good amount. Because nowadays, I mean, you know, that's some of the people's complaints about our economy is that well, the, the dollar is not is not as nowhere near as valid as it was before. 
And that's why you know, like Bitcoin, you know, because people are trying to find new ways to kind of, I guess, I don't know what the right term would be, I guess, branch off to what it is now, because, you know, some people see it as it's, it's failing or it is failing or, you know, it has failed already, you know, in terms of where the, um, where the economy is and, and you know, and money in general. Um, so I don't, I don't know if that, any of that made any sense or no, not. No, it does. It does. Um, it brings up a few interesting points. One, I think if we had a hard money system and, and I, you might notice I've said hard and, and sound money, they both mean the same thing. Um, so I was going to say like, what, like, like hard doesn't like, you can, yeah, hard isn't, it's hard to add more money to okay. the economy. So there, cause I think I heard before once where there's like a cap in Bitcoin, like once yeah. the cap is hit, that's it. Like, it can't, yeah. okay. Yeah. But, um, but one thing, if, if you had a hard money system, I think it would eliminate all these arguments and discussion about minimum wage because, yeah, yeah. because if, even if you may, if, even if you never got a raise, you always made $10 an hour. Well, if, you know, if, if hamburgers cost uh, 10 cents when you first started working and 20 years later, they now cost three cents because we've had technological advancements and improvements in capital mm -hmm. that, that it made it cheaper. You are now better off even making the same wage. And it's like, um, and the other thing with, with my grand, when you brought up the hamburgers being 10 cents, it reminded me of my grandparents when I was a kid being like, my, I used to be able to buy a candy bar for a nickel. Now they cost a dollar. And now 20, 15, 10, 15, 20 years later, you can't buy a candy bar for a dollar. Yeah. So it's, it's already, it's crazy. So, so we, we, we can see that. And it's like, do you really think that we've, we've as a society, as a, as economies that, it's now more difficult to produce candy bars than it was when my grandparents were, were kids. I don't think so. So it points to something that something's way off. And that's, that's where Bitcoin comes and fixes this because Bitcoin creates a money that no one can control. So the, the, the there's no central point that someone can go in and influence the uh, what its properties are. Mm -hmm. That you can't kind of like gold. You can you can take all the supply and then dole it out how you want. Um, with Bitcoin, it doesn't matter um, if you kind of take most of the supply or a, a big chunk of the supply because people are still able to use it outside of. It doesn't matter if. Um, you don't need that those layers that you needed for gold because it was difficult to transact in with gold. Bitcoin has ways. So it, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of things in Bitcoin um, to try to explain it. Uh, and I'm so I might be jumping around a little bit even more than I was jumping no, around no, in, in the not, beginning. We're not going to get to all of it. So yeah, yeah. So <laughs> so Bitcoin um, it aims to be money and. And so it does this by uh, achieving uh, decentralized digital scarcity. So mm -hmm. scarcity is this is the function that um, makes something kind of one, one of the main things that makes something valuable is gold. Mm -hmm. or, uh, sorry, valuable is money. Like gold was scarce. So in order to get gold, you had to really go out and, and try hard to find it. And you couldn't just create it at will. Bitcoin, um, through its mining process, it requires a lot of work 
to add new Bitcoin to the system. And then, like you said before, there's a hard cap on it. And so these rule sets are, um, are secured through decentralization. And that means that anyone can run what's called a, a full node where they keep their own copy of the history of all the transactions in Bitcoin. Um, and they keep a copy of a rule set. So when someone mines Bitcoin and they say, oh, here's some Bitcoin, but the rules say that right now you can only get 12 and a half Bitcoin per what's called a block. Hmm. Um, every time you, 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 you know, you solve this mathematical problem. Right. Um, if you try to put in, well, I'm going to get 15 Bitcoin out of that. And you send this, this announcement throughout the network. Hey, I found, I found some Bitcoin and it's 15 of them. People are going to say, well, that violates our rule set and they reject it. So it allows, um, this decentralization secures the rule set and keeps the money, um, from being manipulated by someone. So, um, kind of going back. So first, the thing I wanted to kind of talk about or not kind of briefly discuss or whatever, um, or mention, I guess, I don't even know what the right words are. I can't talk. Um, is that like the minimum wage thing that you were mentioning before? Mm -hmm. So. It's funny because you know how like all the you know, fight for 15 or whatever the new protest is now that now for that. It's like, okay, so if you made $15 an hour and everybody is, you know, that's the minimum for everyone that would also kind of put it like that would make it harder for employee or for employers, excuse me, to be like, okay, well, I could afford three people at $10, right. an hour, but now with 15, I'm going to have to kind of make some sacrifices. And also I got to raise my price, whether, you know, for a restaurant, or whatever, I got to raise my prices by like a dollar or two because I have to compensate. I'm sorry. It's all about profit. I know profit's a evil word for some people. <laughs> but I'm sorry. When you're running a business, you want to make money because if you don't make money, you fail. So, right. you, you know, with, with all that. So I kind of just wanted to put that there. And I, I'm sure you knew that already, but for some that, you know, what? I don't know what to talk about. Um, but then like with Bitcoin, and you said that, you know, with gold, you can take all of that. And like someone could just run into a vault and say, ha, ah, now I got all this Bitcoin. I got 90% of the gold is me. I have it in some, you know, wherever, but I have it. It's mine. The other 10% is scattered wherever. But of course, with that 90% or maybe even 100% and you're saying you can just, you know, you know, dish it out to whoever or even keep it yourself. Well, that's not good because then that means, well, that person is now a monopoly, right? Because it's just one person that has it or one company or whatever, and they can do whatever they want, or they can be an asshole and be like, I'm keeping off for myself because I like this goal. It feels good. It smells good, whatever, you know, I'm going to use whatever I want and buy whatever I want with it. But with Bitcoin, like you were kind of saying, you can't really have that monopoly because it's all scattered all over the place anyway. They can't actually grab it. And that's another thing too, that some people who don't like Bitcoin say, well, you can't actually touch it. So how do you know it? Like if, you, if it's actually yours or not, you know what I mean? So, yeah, let me, let me actually correct something I said a little bit. Um, cause it wasn't quite right where I said that like, Oh, if, if someone takes most of the gold, that's the problem. Like if someone just removed, like if I took 90% of the world's gold and somehow just destroyed it, like it would just, it wouldn't, it would reset prices. 
mm-hmm. because now you've changed the supply, but it still has gold still has the same properties and it's worth. The issue is in order to use gold as a money, you need a lot of layers built on top of it. Like what we we're talking about before. First, they had to mint these coins. They had to cert like someone has to, someone who's specialized has to certify that the gold is, is legitimate, that it's not counterfeit. And, um, and so they have these layers of doing first it was minting coins, then it was producing these money certificates with Bitcoin. The big thing that Bitcoin solves is that it makes it really, really simple to do all that for anyone. All you need to do is have a, you know, a crummy computer and a moderate internet internet connection, and you can validate payments in Bitcoin made to you. You can run like being a running a full node means that you are a full you would the equivalent would be being a full gold validator. So that means that you can basically if someone sends you Bitcoin, it takes your your software that you're running um, you know milliseconds basically to say go through uh, the the entire you know blockchain, the history of Bitcoin and say like yep, this was legitimately mined. And so this is this person who has the Bitcoin that's sending it to you legitimately owns it currently and can send it to you and you can take ownership of it. Whereas with gold, you know, the equivalent of that would be doing, um, uh, I forget what, what, what the term is to, to like chemically determine that it is elemental gold or, or, and, and, and what stuff, but to, to go through all these like very intense processes to determine that you're getting the gold that you think you are like the actual real gold, not to like you're saying counter. Right. And so that's why, and that's why you have all these layers on top so that you don't have to do that. You trust someone else, but when you trust someone else, they tend to be centralized because that's how it has, it has to work. Um, it just creates an opportunity for government to, to kind of control that. So for a government to control Bitcoin, they would have to control every single individual node operator to, to induce them to change the software that they're running to change the properties of Bitcoin. So it makes it, um, let's call it, we, we can call it like AR 15 proof. Mm. So a government could, could knock on the, the doors of the banks cause they're centralized and, um, we know where they are. They can knock down their doors with their AR 15s, point them at them and say, you're going to change your monetary policies because you know, if you don't, we'll shoot you in the head. Yeah. They would have to do that. Um, across everyone who who operates Bitcoin in any capacity, which is just completely impractical, and they can't do it. Even if they can't, even if they busted down my door and said, uh, pointed a, a gun at me and said, "Hey, Raleigh, you're going to change your software to to have it so that there's a, a cap of 42 million Bitcoin instead of 40 21 million Bitcoin," I would do that so I don't die, but it would just mean my node. Um, goes off the rest of the network and it doesn't affect you. It doesn't affect any other, other node operators. So it, it creates a, mo- a money system that um, basically you got to get everyone on board to change it, which is really, really, really difficult. Um, it would be like someone says, uh, all right, well, I don't think we should be speaking English in this country. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to force everyone to speak this new language that I came up with. Good luck with that. You might be able to get a few people too, but you're not going to, you're not going to be able to induce the entire country to, uh, to change their language. I can only imagine if that actually. Happened. Right. 
Yeah, and then this is this is um this is not only happening in in our country but across the entire world. So, yeah. um, in order to to do this, you've like different governments would have to coordinate with each other to like get every everyone who's operating this to to change what they're doing. So, it's a it's a really fantastic way to solve the problems that allow gold to be central that cause gold to be centralized, which in and of itself is fine. There's nothing immoral about minting gold or using money certificates, but it just creates a, uh, a threat surface for someone to exploit. Hmm. And governments did to the point where we are where we are now and we don't have gold as money. So they have to, in order for Bitcoin to fail as money, well, if it becomes money in order for Bitcoin, it's not money yet. Cause it's not the universal medium of exchange, right. but in order for Bitcoin to fail, they have to figure out a, uh, somewhere, some security flaw in Bitcoin that they can exploit like they did with gold through central, through its centralization. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Cause it seems like, I guess that's one of the things that I guess the, like the government doesn't like Bitcoin because like you're saying, they can't, they can't get a hold of it. They can't control it as easy as, you know, like you're saying gold or even the money system we have now. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of money to be made in controlling the money supply uh, because the people who it's, it's called seniorage, which is the advantage that the, the first person who adds new money gets. Hmm. Um, so when the governments print money, they're kind of giving them to their friends and those people are able to spend the money, this newly created money, um, at prices where the rest of the economy has not adjusted to the additional supply of money yet. So they're getting this advantage of using money at its current, using this new money at its current purchasing power, whereas it starts permeating the rest of the economy, the purchasing power adjusts and decreases. And so now like they're, they're able to, um, get value off the backs of our, our like wealth and money right now. Um, so Bitcoin fixes this because they require in, in order to add new money, you have to do perform proof of work is what it's called by solving this, uh, this one way mathematical cryptographic function that requires just brute force guessing. So you have to expend a lot of electricity through having your computer run through these, uh, run through all these mathematical problems that once you figure it out, after you've guessed, you know, a gajillion times, it's very easy to plug it in the other way to, to validate that. Yep. This, uh, this is the right, the right guess because you added all this work. We will, uh, the network will give you the new Bitcoin there. And that's what, um, that's kind of the, the, the way the ledger gets updated when, and that's called solving a block. Um, the, the mining operation. That's, that's, that's a whole nother, uh, kind of technical thing that, um, oh, I forget what I was going to say about something I had to do with that. Sorry. I'm, I'm starting to jump around again and introducing okay. things without that's, that's the funny thing. It's like this, this kind of um, the way the system works, it's kind of all like feedback loops on, on, certain things so you, you introduce something and it's like well i need to where do i jump in it's like a merry-go-round going <laughs> yeah. and you're like well where do i jump in because if i jump in here i gotta i'm gonna miss miss a lot of the other stuff well so. I, I guess i can just um, ask a question then um and then maybe if, if that jogs your memory maybe we'll 
it will. But uh, and I'm sure you've gotten this question before. You've seen this critique a lot. But and there are prominent economists who say, well, what if? And I know you're gonna. I know I probably don't know where I'm coming from or where I'm gonna go with this. But what if like the whole system just crashes? And now what are you gonna do? You can't get any more Bitcoin. Then 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 what? You know, crashes as in like I've heard people like, well, what if there's a solar flare? Well, I, I guess like, I guess what I'm saying is like if the whole system just like you know blacks out, I suppose, like and then right. like, completely just zeroes out. Um, it would be difficult to do that because you have people all over the world keeping copies of the ledger on hand. Mm-hmm. So if like a major, like there was just, I don't know, people, people love to bring up the solar flare issue. I'm like, all right. So let's say half the world gets, gets hit with a solar flare. Um, and it wiped all their computer memories out. Well, the other half of the world or portion of the world that didn't see that solar flare still has all the stuff. So it would be a major problem. It w- wouldn't be good, obviously. Yeah, right. Um, it would also cause massive problems across all you know, computer and electrical systems. So would it um, kind of, I'm sorry to interrupt, but would it kind of be like the Y2K scare? Kind of, that's kind of like what it is. But okay. but as long as, theoretically, as long as one person maintains a copy of the Bitcoin ledger, everyone else can get back to their, their previous state. They can pick up where they left off. Okay. And that and that's I think there are people who are actually making like printing out like physical copies of of all the blocks so that, you know, in this crazy scenario when that does happen, they can go back and kind of have have all the data on literally paper. Yeah. And 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 rebuild the state of the network is where it was. So uh it's actually an extremely, extremely robust system, extremely secure. Mm. Um, but it would be similar to like, well, what happens if the internet went dark? Well, right. all right, well, <laughs> probably doomed. Yeah. Cause everyone's lies is in the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause I'm, I'm glad that you talk about like the printing or whatever, because like the first thought that came to my head was the, the printing guns and the 3d guns thing. And that's like another thing where the government's like, I don't like these uh, plans, you know, because people can make their own guns and then they can do whatever they want with them because we don't have control because now people can make their own guns. And, you know, so I don't know. That's that's kind of the first thought that came to my head when you're talking about like people making, I guess, copies or just printing out the like you're saying, like the ledgers or whatever, because if something like that happens because people are kind of like the doomsday, I guess. So, yeah, that's actually an interesting point. Yeah. Because that's that's how a new node gets on on the network is that it starts pinging other nodes. It connects to the network and it starts pinging other nodes and starts saying like, "All right, I need I need the first block. I need the all right." And someone sends them the block. I need the second one. And so they they you, when you run a full node, it starts from you start downloading the history from when Bitcoin first started. Hmm. So if half the network like lost everything, it would just in order to go back online, it would just do what it did when it first went and just start pinging, going out and sending pings like, uh, who's out there? Start sending me information. So is it kind of like checkpoints in video games? Like you save and just okay, you're at this point because you did everything before, but you're going to be going from this point on where you save to, you know, like in case for like, that's, for example, that's, like, like that's a, yeah, that's a very good question. And you might be surprised, but no, not really. Okay. So there are no checkpoints in Bitcoin. 
Okay. What secures it is the proof of work. Hmm. So I, I kind of mentioned it before. So miners solve what's called blocks. What I was saying before it, it, it's these, they got to, so there's these one, there's these cryptographic functions that you can only solve one way, you know, like an algebraic equation, you know, uh, Y equals two X plus four. Right. You can, you can, yeah, you can isolate either side of the equation and solve for X or Y pretty easily with a cryptographic function. You've got this, this function where Y equals this crazy thing that you, in order to solve for X on the other side, you just have to guess values on the other side. You, you, you can't, um, it's only solved one way. So if you have the answer to the, to that, this math problem, it's very easy. You just plug it in and it, and it pops out. It, it shows that, yep, this answer is what I was expecting. That's, that's correct. But, um, how do those math problems even come about in the first place? It was cryptographers kind oh. of developed them okay. and no one has ever been able to, to crack them. Um, like the super smart of the super smart, basically. Yeah, I don't know how they actually did it, uh, but there's like if if you want to dig into it, um, it's it's uh, what's it called elliptical, something with elliptical curves. I'm blanking on the actual term right now. Um, but there there is like mathematics behind it that explain why you can only solve these problems one way or the other. Um, so these miners have to, in order to, uh, to solve a block and get the reward of new Bitcoin mm -hmm. and also process the transactions that are kind of hanging out there. Um, they got to try to solve this mathematical equation. And once they do, it's very trivial for everyone else to be like, all right, he's got the number. Let me plug it in. All right. That works. Really what it is, is there's a, there's kind of, it's called a target. And as long as you solve a problem that is, equal to or less than what this target is, then it's accepted. And as more miners go online, you get more uh, power, more people solving these problems, the difficulty goes up. So the number that you've got to get goes down. So there's a, um, so it, it, the, the purpose of that is to keep these, uh, these cycles of, of adding new blocks going every 10 minutes. Hmm. Um, and so what this does is that, um, once you solve a block, it shows that you did a lot of work to do that. You had to you had to guess randomly guess through brute force a lot of different numbers. Uh, you know, like trillion. I don't know the exact number, but probably trillion. Uh, it's we're in like a hundred peta hashes per second Damn. through the Bitcoin network. So a hash is a guess. Hmm. And so there's like a hundred. I think it's like a hundred peta hashes is where we're at now per second is what the network network is guessing. Damn. So you can't just like sit there with the pen, the chances of you solving this by just like grabbing a pen and a paper, which you can do it by hand. There was a guy on a blog post that, that did it by hand <laughs> and it's just, it's just crazy, but you have computers that are specialized to do this, but to do that, to run these computers and people have warehouses full of, of these computers to do it. And that requires a lot of electricity. So it shows that someone who's willing to go out and do this stuff is proving through the electricity that they destroyed that they're, that they're putting the work into it. Just like if, if I go out and get new gold to add to the supply, that means I went out and dug a hole in the ground somewhere and went looking for it and got lucky enough to find something after doing a tremendous amount of work. Um, 
And so that gets, when someone solves this mathematical equation and solves the block, they add it on top of the next block. And this chain of blocks is what's known as the blockchain. And so in order for you to, um, there's like a kind of a cryptographic um, hash that connects the blocks to each other. Okay. So if you try to, um, well, so, so yeah, there's just like literally think of like a chain. Okay. And each block that gets added has to connect, has have an interface to connect to the previous chain. Hmm. Um, so that's, as you build it, it builds up strength. Um, and so for someone to go back and like you mentioned checkpoints, If someone wants to go back and rewrite the history, like if I I want to uh, do what's called a double spend, where I send you Bitcoin and then I spend it somewhere else, and you give me the the product that I'm that I'm buying from you, but then since I spend it somewhere else, I can get the Bitcoin and the thing, and you're left with nothing. Hmm. Um, I could go back and try to solve previous blocks. Hmm. And, and change the transactions that were included in there. But I would have to redo that proof of work to do it. And so, then I, so it would just be like a lot more work than you're willing to do, I would think. Yeah, it's, it's not worth it. Um, so when, you, when, you, when another block gets added, since there's this cryptographic function that's, that they're built using, what's interesting with cryptography is that if you change one of the inputs very slightly, the resulting hash or output of it changes dramatically. So if I try to add a, a false block somewhere in the history, the, the chain that that's going to ask to interface with the, the already existing blocks after it won't match up. So someone you'll know that like, well, this, this doesn't complete the chain. Something's not right. We'll, we'll reject that. It's, it's a false, uh, false block. But in order for you, you, if you wanted to pull this off and rewrite the history, you would have to um, rebuild all those another chain um, next to the, to the to the real chain. That's, this is uh, I should have said before that uh, the nodes accept the the chain with the most proof of work. Oh, okay. So the most accumulated the, the chain with the most accumulated electricity to destroy behind it. Um is the one that is that is the valid one. So it would kind of be like if like the like, I don't know if it was, if this makes a good comparison but it would be kind of like if like you had I don't know three batteries and you checked which one was the most I guess charged or had the most power that's the one that would that would be one we go through to connect to the next blockchain, right? Am I kind of getting where you're getting at? Um I kind of I I I can see why you're yeah. Um, not quite, but I think like okay. you're, you're, you're getting the idea. Um, it's just, that's, that's the, the, the consensus mechanism that, that the network runs on is just whatever has the most proof of work. So okay. let me explain what an attack would require an attack being that try to rewrite the history. So I could try to steal money from you okay. is, that, is that, um, as the, um, let's say uh, block five. Um, you, I sent you some money okay, to trade for, you know, this pen. And I say, well, I want to, I want to 
double spend. And I want, not only do I want your pen, but I want the money that I sent to you. So hmm. you wait for that block to get confirmed on the net mind and confirmed. It says, all right, there's that transaction there. It, it, we can exchange it. Now I control that Bitcoin that you sent to me, but I can say, well, I'm going to rewrite that block and send it out to the network and hope the other nodes believe my false block that has the money sent back to me. And that's what everyone's going to, if, if I can get the most proof of work with that, with a chain, with that block, then that's what the nodes accept. And that is what is the true state of the chain. So what I have to do after that block gets solved and you say, all right, I have the Bitcoin sent to me. I can give you the pen. I'll go start working on that, mining that block again, but I got to redo all that proof of work. Hmm. I have to remake a block that is valid according to the rule set. So I can't just take the block that you, that someone else produced. Um, because it's already been accepted, already been sent out, accepted by everyone. So I got to redo that proof of work, respend all that electricity. Um, meanwhile, the other, that true chain is getting other blocks added onto it. Because presumably they have a lot more hash power than I do. They can solve blocks at a faster rate than I do. Um, so all of a sudden I realize, oh wait, I'm spending all this electricity to solve this block. And I, I solved this block. That's great. And I send it out to the network and I go, oh wait, there's been three blocks added to the other chain already. I'm way behind. Hmm. And so they're just, my block's going to get rejected. I have to hope that I can produce enough blocks that um, create more proof of work behind it so that I can send this new chunk of blocks to the network and say, hey, this is the, the chain with the most proof of work. It's the real chain and everyone adjusts to that. So that costs an enormous amount of energy, an enormous amount of processing power to do that. Um, I only have the chance to do that if I have at least 50% of the hashing power across the network. Hmm. And even then I'm technically guaranteed to be able to add a chain with, uh, with more blocks. Um, but there's no guarantee on how long it's going to take. And the less, less I have, the longer it's going to take, the more expensive it's going to be. So it creates an incentive that it's cheaper or it's, it's more profitable to be an honest miner and honestly add power to the network than it would be to try to cheat it. So there's, it, it, it creates a great incentive structure that like you're going to get wrecked if you try to cheat. Um, yeah, that sounds like it's like, I don't know, a lot of effort just to take someone's Bitcoin, but that it is. And, and, and that's what secures it. So you're not securing it by saying like, we're going to hold this set in stone. It, the security of it is that it requires an enormous expenditure to try to cheat. So that's why you want to wait. Uh, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of like waiting for block or for confirmations. So you want to wait. Um, ten, it, it tends to be like if you've got, you know, six block confirmations, then you're probably safe to accept it. But it depends on how much you're spending. So if I'm sending you Bitcoin mm -hmm. um, for this for this pen, you know, it's it doesn't cost much. You would, you would accept one confirmation in the chain because the amount of work that would require me 
to redo one block would not be worth the, you know, I, I would lose money trying to recover the cost of this pen. It, it would be stupid for me to do it. Whereas if I buy your, uh, buy your house or something, then you're going to wait, want to wait a lot of confirmations mm. where the cost to redo that chunk of, of chain would be more than it would be for the, the, the amount of money I spent on the house. Hmm. So it seems like the more expensive something is, then the more like a lot more secure that purchase would be because, you know, obviously a house is more expensive than a pen. Yeah. You want to wait, you want to wait some time for people to add, add to the chain to make it more difficult and more expensive to go back and try to redo that chain. So if I, you know, you're not going to give me the keys to your house until you have a certain number of blocks added to your payment where you're comfortable to say like, all right, you know, just by using game theory and, and understanding that people aren't going to like spend money and, and waste it. Um, that I feel good that you don't have the ability or the money to try to cheat the system. All right, here's the keys. We'll, we'll go through with the transaction. Um, now what's confusing for a lot of people is that in the beginning, um, because block space was, um, well, it was cheap to add transactions and people were accepting transactions without waiting for things to get added to the block Yeah, for a variety of reasons. Um, it's not very useful for like day-to-day -day payments. Like you got to wait every 10 minutes for, for your payment to be added to the ledger. It's not real good for like, if you want to go buy a cup of coffee or if you want to buy this pen from me, we're going to like sit there and it's like, all right, uh, you know, waiting, waiting, waiting 10 minutes later. Oh, oh, there, there it is. All right. Here's your pen. Hmm. I got my money. Let's go on our way. So people confuse, um, Bitcoin as they think it's like a payment system. They think we're, it's competing with PayPal or Visa, but really what it is, it's like, it's competing with the final settlement of banks that you have a lot of security built behind this stuff. So Bitcoin, they're working on like secondary layers where you can do more instant and very low cost transactions while still leveraging that, that major security of Bitcoin. Uh, but you're able to do things with more like day-to-day -day transactions. So like the lightning network, you might've heard that, that term floating around. That's a second layer built on top of Bitcoin where they use like these smart contracts to, um, to be able to send actual Bitcoin payments back and forth instantly, but very securely. So like this, uh, we're so early on in Bitcoin, like we're most people, um, are not going to be using this on chain layer that we're talking about right now. This is adding like the basic base level of security that is extremely robust that you could build things that, that make it easier for, for day-to-day -day stuff on top of that, but you're not losing, but this security that's being built, make sure that the money that you're using on these layers built on top, isn't getting inflated, isn't getting modified, isn't getting cheated. Hmm. Um, so that's where. Like it's, you hear people who, oh, it's expensive and it, and it takes a lot of time. Well, yeah, but if you compare final settlement on Bitcoin compared to final settlement of gold through central banks, um, like spending, waiting, you know, an hour 
for it to be confirmed to the blockchain and that transaction costing you $2 compared to making a, uh, a gold uh, exchange would cost, you know, just magnitudes uh, more expensive and magnitudes of time longer. So it improves that, that layer tremendously. And then, you know, they're just, it's engineering problems to figure out how to, how to make it smooth for like day-to-day stuff on top of that. So I guess a couple things, um, you're kind of talking about how some people confuse it for just like a payment system, you know, like you're saying uh, as like a competition or whatever. I, I think some people would probably confuse that because I guess there was that story where, you know, someone used Bitcoin to buy pizzas. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's probably what, one of the reasons why they're probably confusing it with that. Yeah, no, it's, it's not something that like, Oh, you're stupid for thinking that it's right. It's natural. I mean, because you can, you can like take gold hunks of gold and use that in exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be very time consuming and difficult to actually validate that you're doing that. So we have layers built on top of that. So there's like, you know, there's ways to pay people in Bitcoin, but it would be like using the base layer of Bitcoin with the level of security that you're getting from it would be like using a central bank for me to buy a cup of coffee, using the security of a central bank uh, final settlement to get like a cup of coffee. Like it's like, that's, that's the comparison for, for the Bitcoin on chain layer. Mm. There's stuff like uh, the lightning network, um, which is more of a payment system that competes with things like visa like would would you like in terms of um like with that like would that be something that maybe not just for you but i guess for all bitcoin i don't know but just for people who advocate for bitcoin and that whole system like would they be okay with it just becoming a payment system the the base layer yeah uh it can't okay it 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 doesn't have the properties to do it just because it's like you wouldn't want to change the 10 minute block time or, you know, a lot of this stuff. Um, it's it's you got you really want to be really conservative about making any sort of changes to it because it could screw up the entire network and put everyone out of sync. So you really like Bitcoin. There's a really great piece. Uh, I forget who wrote it, but uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Guy Swan and the Crypto Economy podcast. Familiar, yeah. yeah, he he reads pieces. um, he reads Bitcoin articles okay. that he thinks are good. And there's this one article, this was written years ago, but it's called Bitcoin is worse is better. I think that's what it's called. And the idea is that you want, like Bitcoin solves a very specific problem. It's the ability to validate that the, that the payment, the money that you're getting is what you expect it to be. So you want that to do that job really, really well. And it doesn't, you don't need it to do anything else because you can build things on top of that to do the, the more convenient things. But you want like Bitcoin works as it is like the problem that it's solving does it really well. And there's really no good way to try to break it. So we don't want to start changing the fundamental properties of Bitcoin to make it more convenient when we have ways of doing it um, by building layers on top without threatening the fundamental security of Bitcoin. Hmm. So 
it's kind of like what you're saying before, like kind of um, with the like gratification. It's because you're saying, well, it takes 10 minutes just to get your item. You know, obviously, if you go to a grocery store, you buy something, it's like you get it right there and then. So it's kind of like the instant gratification versus the delayed gratification. Would that would Bitcoin basically um, kind of be that you make people become, uh, I guess, synonymous with the delayed gratification? Yeah, in the sense that we it's not built out yet. Like the layers haven't been built out yet um, okay. as as a way to just like roll like the lightning network. It's, it's been around for a while. It's still kind of, it works, but it's really not ready for like mass adoption for things just because a lot of the, the, the engineering problems haven't been solved. They're still working on the engineering problems and they want to make sure that they don't do anything that, that screws stuff up. You need in order for like sending, I mean, we're talking about sending money around. You can't have a thing where it messes up a lot. And you lose your money. So they're being they're being very careful, not just being like, oh, we'll just like throw something out. And if it works, it's great. You know, move fast and break things. Um, you cannot do that when you're trying to build a good money system. So in the sense that um, you want to delay gratification because like people want to, oh, I want to use Bitcoin now. All right. Well, you can use Bitcoin for what it is, what the purpose of it is, which is, you know, securing final settlement in a way that anyone has access to having that security of final settlement. But you need to be patient with with ways to build it out so you can go and, you know, pull your phone out, get a QR code, and uh, be able to send money to that to that account instantly. Like, that's where the, like, you got to delay the gratification. Like, let's not um, introduce these fundamental security flaws in Bitcoin to make it more convenient right now hmm. in a way that might wreck it tomorrow. So there's people that say like, uh, cause there's a, in, in each block we were talking about earlier yeah, where the transactions get added, there's a limited amount of space that's that you can add transactions to. Um, so there's the, the size limit is one megabyte. Now there's things that have happened, you know, that we don't need to get into that, that, Block sizes can be a little bit bigger than than one megabyte, but that's neither here nor there. Um, there were some people that said, "Well, we need to, you know, transactions are getting too expensive because the block space is limited. So we should raise the block size in order to be able to stuff more transactions in there, keep the cost low, so people can still use it conveniently." Um, the problem with that is that you're you're trading that convenience. Uh, one. You know, it's it's just not an efficient way to to move money around this this way quickly, mm -hmm. at least. But but what you're doing by raising the block size, you're you're making bandwidth requirements larger for people. So in it's going to take longer for people to sync up new nodes. If there's issues where the internet gets shut down or otherwise compromised, you want to be able to to access the network via satellites, mesh networks you know, ham radio, but if you make the bandwidth requirements too big, you lose the ability to do that. And that causes, um, people to require more, you know, uh, memory on their computers to store the ledger. So it's going to cause nodes to drop out and mm -hmm. it makes the system, uh, less secure. So that's an example of, you don't want to take, you know, these little short-term gains for convenience while mortgaging the future 
that uh, harms the fundamental properties of it. Hmm. So that's why you want to keep maintain that basic infrastructure, do what works, make it do that one thing it does real well, and then the other things adding convenience uh, payment systems on layers on top of that without compromising that base thing. If that all makes sense, so I, I'm, I'm throwing out so much information. It's yeah. you're, you're drinking from like a four inch fire hose here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that, that's, um, that's pretty much the gist of it right there. <laughs> um, but so would it, would it kind of be like, I don't know how to word this right. Would it be like, is it, is it kind of like linear in terms of like how the system works then? Not just because people, like like me for example who are looking at it from the outside and think man this is like super complex and super because you're talking about all these like math problems and, and solving them in blockchain and so, you know obviously with you you're a lot more familiar with it than i am that's the reason why i have you on to talk about it but it's just like it seems really complicated but is it actually more linear than what people on the outside are actually thinking it is does that make any sense with that question? yeah yeah i see what you're saying okay. it is once you like start understanding how the system works it is unbelievably beauty, beautiful and elegant how it works. And not that, well, it's complicated, but not like once you get it, like you one day, if, if you put the time into it to try to understand it one day, you're just going to go, oh, wait, wow. It's, it's like learning it's a foreign language kind of. Right, right. Yeah. And, and for, you know, I know people, especially those are, that aren't really familiar with it, their heads might be spinning, your head might be spinning. But, man, if, if I can figure this stuff out, then you guys can figure it out too. I'm no smarter than anybody else here. You just got to be willing to put in the time. And I can, when we're wrapping up, I can direct you to, to, to resources for, for learning, for further learning. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But, um, yeah. I didn't <laughs> well, I was just going to um, kind of the last thing that I wanted to – say is that you know with the whole cryptocurrency i mean i don't even know what the right term would be some people would say i guess a fad or a craze or just or whatever i don't know what what the right thing would be for it but it just seemed like it kind of just popped up out of nowhere because you know obviously it's a lot of people and i don't, I don't know if, if you're included in this i'm sure you are but you know we we're thinking man i wish i had gotten some of that crypto you know back in the day because yeah I'd be a, what's that? Cause there was that song that, uh, that reason came out with, where it was like, I'm a Bitcoin millionaire or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should have bought some back in the day or whatever. Um, yeah. It's, um, if you believe like I do, that Bitcoin will become global money. Like the idea that, oh man, I didn't buy. Yeah. I, I'm like right now being like, oh, I missed the opportunity to buy. Like we're like 11, uh, yeah, it was 2000. Yeah. We're going to be 11 years into this in in a couple weeks um mm -hmm. this is like being in the internet in like 1994 that yeah that's true where it was just around where paul krugman was saying that the internet's going to have as much impact on the world as the fax machine what a great quote that definitely aged well didn't it yeah <laughs> and and like it was clunky it was difficult to use back then um and, and that's kind of where we are with Bitcoin right now. Yeah. We're we're trying to onboard people. People want it, but it's like you need some. I I tell people, yeah, I think it's great to buy Bitcoin, but you you want to have some knowledge of of the economics of it and the technical things of it, just so that you understand the value proposition. So that if you buy it and you know the price drops by fifty percent, you're not going to be like, oh, it's terrible. I gotta I gotta sell this. 
-hmm. You don't want to have like, you don't want to be dumb money buying it. And then also there's some things, especially because it's still kind of new and clunky. There's things that you got to make sure that you're, you're securing your Bitcoin well. Um, so that's why I really recommend that. Yeah. I think everyone should buy Bitcoin, but you should also know what you're doing. Um, and that's where you just kind of need to do, um, a lot of your own homework on it and, uh, and still just kind of, you know, rumble, stumble and fumble your way through it. Um, you know, as far as being able to, you know, having good security practices, it's, there's a lot of debate right now on it still. Um, but I think don't get, um, discouraged by that because people are talking about like hyper secure, like levels of hyper security in Bitcoin where, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is good because it's, it's good to be super conservative about this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, if you're interested in it, um, Wait, I'm I'm jumping. I what was your what was the original question again? I don't even know if I had a question. I think I was just kind of making a point in terms. Yeah, of Yeah. Oh yeah. Just it's it's kind of new. But yeah, it's like just imagine. That's what I wanted to say. Like just imagine the internet in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Um. Y- you know, if if Bitcoin takes off, like I think it does, based on the economics behind what's going on. Um. Yeah. Don't worry about. Oh, I'm too late. We're, we're still, it's like being in the internet in, in the early 90s and saying like, man, I'm too late for that internet thing. Um, I think it is a global revolution that will create so much value and lift so many people out of bad spots, whether it's poverty or bad governments. It is it is a tremendous opportunity. It is the tool, like as, as a libertarian, I've always, you know, we want to fight the state, want to get rid of it. I've always I've said for a while, like, yeah, we we just need to develop technology that makes the state obsolete. And so, you know, libertarians, we love to say, let's audit the Fed, audit the Fed, let's end the Fed. Well, Bitcoin makes us gives us the opportunity to simply make the Fed obsolete. Hmm. So I mean that could be another hashtag, make the Fed obsolete or something. Yeah, I've been trying to do that. I guess it doesn't sound as cool as end the Fed, you know, you can put yeah. on a and stuff like that. But yeah, that's that's a good that's a good point too. Um, because you know it's because it, to, to me it kind of just looks like another competitor to it you know because obviously more competition more choice people are gonna be like oh well i mean i'm sure there's people out there who are gonna you know be like bitcoin just isn't for me i still want to do the whole you know i still want to have a federal reserve note sure you know and you know, that's fine but then there's other people who you know they, they are going to go that bitcoin route or just the cryptocurrency in general and they're going to go that route and then you know, and then maybe even gold too, because I don't know. I I, I kind of look at it from that standpoint. It's like, oh, this is great because now, like you're saying, make the Fed obsolete because obviously that's not going to happen overnight. You know, right. so and, and that's the other thing. I wouldn't get too concerned. Don't feel like you need to like, ah, oh, it's going to take me a year or however long you think it's going to take for you to learn this stuff. This is going to take a while, and yeah. it's going to be a. I think it's going to be a pretty smooth transition. So even if you don't like buy a bunch of Bitcoin right now, the fact that you're able to start using it in the future, just the the ability for you to have a money that appreciates in value and losing value, even if you just slowly transition your current value from dollars to Bitcoin without having this like, oh, I got it way ahead of everybody else people's lives are going to be greatly improved just because they're going to have a money that um, appreciates in value. So you don't have to be like, I don't think there's going to be people left in the dust. Um, I think it's going to even people without money right now, 
Like just because they don't have, they're, they're, they're very impoverished, don't have, have, have many dollars. Once they're start able, able to, instead of getting paid in dollars and start getting paid in Bitcoin, just the ability to have a money that they can hold on to and save and accumulate in value will be a unbelievable boon to those people. So don't get worried. Even if you don't have any money right now, like you say, oh, I know all about Bitcoin and uh, I buy into, buy into everything. I just, I, I can't afford to 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 buy Bitcoin right now. That's fine. Um, I wouldn't worry about it. Um, your life will be improved as Bitcoin monetizes, even if you're not able to to jump on it early. All right. Well, uh, I really appreciate you coming on, Rollo. You can go ahead and uh, kind of you know promote everything because you were saying before earlier that you were gonna kind of tell people where to go if they want to learn more about Bitcoin and just cryptocurrency in general. So go ahead. Yeah, so the the best thing I worked on with uh, a couple friends of mine in in the Bitcoin space, JW Weatherman and uh, Heavily Armed Clown, it's <laughs> called. But we have a site called 10hoursofbitcoin.com. So it's a site that it's broken up into like 10 different kind of lessons and we say if you want to go from, you know, square one to having a pretty good understanding of the technical and economic case for Bitcoin, then if you um invest 10 hours of your time, we think you'll come out of it um, pretty good. So 10 as in the number 10, one zero hours of Bitcoin.com. Uh, also, there's, you know, we talked about McFlugal.com and I've been writing more recently and mostly just about Bitcoin. So um, you can check out the stuff there. Also, some books that would be uh, of use for people once you go through 10 hours of Bitcoin or even if you just want to dive right into the books. Um, the Bitcoin Standard by Saifedina Moose is uh, really an excellent uh, layout of the history of money, um, why gold, why gold became money, why it failed, and why Bitcoin uh, has a good chance of being money. And then, if you want to learn the the technical side of Bitcoin, there's a book called uh, "Grokking Bitcoin" by uh, Kel, I think Rosenbaum. I'm going to feel bad if I got his name name wrong, but uh, it, it like, you don't need a technical background. You don't need to be a programmer, know how to code. He like lays it out really, really well on explaining all the technical sides of Bitcoin. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll send you links to those, yeah, to those things uh, after we get wrapped up here. Yeah. So again, uh, for those watching, go ahead and go, you know, 10 hours of Bitcoin.com. And then of course, McFlugo.com and of course, hashtag. Yeah. Thanks. I know. I never said mcflugel.com. Also, libertymugs.com. We saw yeah. we saw awesome libertarian theme mugs. So I'm pretty sure this is, we got this from you. Oh yeah, I got mine right here. Maroads, bridges, and hospitals. Getting elected. My brain lets <laughs> on it. Yeah. Um, so again, thanks so much, Ralph, for coming on. And I know that was like a lot of information that you were just throwing up on. Uh, but uh really appreciate you doing that. And uh, I, I, I hope people got a better understanding of it because like you were saying, it is like, you know, like a new language you're learning. So of course not everyone's going to learn in one day. It's going to take yeah. time. Um, so, but again, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. I, I love doing this stuff. I love talking about it in case you, you know, people haven't noticed <laughs> seeing me on Twitter and stuff, but I yeah. hope, I hope it was helpful. So um, yeah, I, I'm just here to kind of hopefully bridge the gap between libertarians and, and Bitcoiners and, and uh, I, th I think the two are are an excellent match for each other. So, mm -hmm. 
All right, everyone, thank you so much for watching. See you later. Now you know what's happening. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the show, go to hapasupremacy.com and follow our social media. Have a great day.